that in being Christ-like, we cannot water down marriage, and we cannot go along with the culture on it, because the biblical principle is clear. A man will leave his father and mother, become one with his wife. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. If you have your Bible with you, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 5 as we're reading from verse 25, and you'll find it on page 1823 of the Church Bible, page 1823. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 25. The Apostle Paul, as he comes towards the end of his epistle to the Ephesians, writes these words, "'Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, and to present her to Himself.'" as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. And whoever each of you, excuse me, however, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. Now, this morning, I have three questions as we consider what is marriage. And the first is this, straightforward, what is marriage? How does the Scriptures define it? Secondly, why does marriage matter, and why is it important? And thirdly, what are the consequences of redefining marriage, which the Supreme Court did, as you know, June the 26th. So that's where we're going this morning, and we'll seek to bring principles out of Scripture, and particularly the verse in Ephesians 5.31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be, be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And that principle is found in several places in the Scripture, and we'll come to that in a moment or two. One of the great joys of being a pastor is in premarital counseling when I work with a couple and they come to see me for three single-hour meetings on the run-up to their wedding ceremony, and then, of course, conducting the ceremony itself. And each time I marry a couple, I say the same thing at the beginning. And I tell the couple beforehand that I'm going to talk about what are marriage principles right at the beginning so everyone is aware of what's taking place. And this is what I say. Marriage is provided by God as part of His loving purpose for humanity. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and become one in marriage with his wife. 
Marriage is thus a gift and a calling, a calling to live with and for each other, and thus not to be taken lightly or from selfish motives, but gladly with full consideration, reverence, and dedication. Marriage is entered into for loving, lifelong companionship and comfort. It is designed to nurture and develop the full expression of love between a husband and a wife. And I say that, as I indicated, so that folks are aware of what's going on. But saying it and remembering it and seeking to apply the biblical principles it contains are often two different things. And that's why this morning I want to pause and stop and look at what are those fundamental Christian principles that are not only core values that define who we are, but in fact impact our lives day by day by day by day. As Christian people, we believe that our Christianity is never restricted to Sunday morning, but should impact every area of our lives, how we behave in a working environment, how we raise our children, what we do with our finances, what we're willing to watch on television, and so many other areas. And this morning we're asking, what is important about marriage? In Genesis chapter 2, and in Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus is teaching about marriage, he uses the phrase that Paul uses here. And Paul, seeking to be faithful to the Scriptures, lays it out. A man will leave his father and mother and become one with his wife. And whenever I marry a couple, often here in the sanctuary, sometimes in the chapel, of course, the grandparents are seated first and then the parents, and then I come from this direction with the groom, and then comes the groomsman, and then the bridesmaid, and then when it's time for the bride to arrive, I ask the congregation, please stand, which they do, the music changes, and then in comes the bride. And the bride gets to about five or six rows back here, and I encourage the new groom to step down onto the carpet to receive his wife, and so the groom, his bride-to-be, and dad stand in the center. And the symbolism of all that's going on there is this, that when the groom, <coughs> excuse me, when the groom arrives, and then the bride arrives, they leave here as different people. Now, I can't think of too many occasions when you enter a room as one category of person, and you leave that room as another. But it happens in marriage. And in the state of South Carolina, the United States, and in the eyes of their family and friends, they leave as a married couple. The bride arrives with usually her dad, and then she leaves as a wife. And so there's a sense of leaving and cleaving going on there. And that comes right out of the passage we've just read. A man will leave his father and mother and become one with his wife. And that's intentional and deliberate, because when a couple are married, they no longer have the right to think of me. They now think as we. And family and friends, parents, grandparents will treat them as such 
from this day forward. And that's important because that marriage bond, that ever-growing and deepening relationship is crucial in any healthy marriage. When I ask people who have been married for 25, 30, 35 years, tell me a little about why you've been married so long. And the answers are often a little different, but often they will talk of this, of being there for each other, of shared experience of buying a new car, promotion at work, buying a new house. And inevitably, they will go on and talk about having children. And what does that mean? And how their love grows deeper and deeper and matures as the years go by. They will also talk about tough times, of being made unemployed. In fact, this past week, I got an email from a young lady who had just lost her job, and she said, I came home so sad, so despondent, but he was there for me. He told me to take a deep breath, made her something to eat, gave her a hug, went for a walk, and he told her, it will probably be okay. She said, I didn't want to believe that, but he's right. It probably will be okay. And he was there for her. Those experiences take our married relationship to that deeper and deeper and more intimate place. One of the phrases you heard me use as I talked to married couples was, marriage is entered into for loving, lifelong companionship and comfort. It is designed to nurture and develop the full expression of love between a husband and a wife. Those of us who have been married for many years will know what happens in those just instantaneous events. You'll be sitting, having a meal somewhere, and you'll look across the table, and your eyes meet, and there is love at a level that is profound and deep and cannot be replaced by anything or anyone else. Those are those moments of deep tenderness and intimacy. can happen between married couples looking at each other across a crowded room, to quote an old song, but it's real. It's right there. That level of love and maturity grows as the years go forward. Having said that, there is an exclusiveness in marriage. And those moments of intimacy and love cannot be shared with another. Marriage is designed for a development of intimacy and love between a husband and a wife. And when that sacred marriage bond is broken, that is a very serious matter. And we call it, as a society, an adulterous affair. And it is. It is utterly despicable when a husband or a wife break that marriage bond. There's a sense of betrayal and deception that goes so deep, and it's dreadful. And that's why marriage is sacred. That's why we call it holy matrimony. That's why we say, what God has put together, let no man break asunder. We take it very seriously. 
And we take it very seriously for a number of reasons. That the unique bond in marriage is so sacred. And as a denomination, excuse me, as a church back in 2012, we broke away from a denomination because they had changed their understanding on marriage. There was, in fairness, and you know this, there was a number of issues, but one of them was their understanding on marriage. And we joined a denomination who clearly say, as a matter of policy, that they believe, and we have signed up to it, and encourage it strongly, that for individual people who are committed to Christ, and if you are committed to Christ, there comes with that moral values. You cannot follow Him day by day, have Him at the center of your life, continue to pray and seek to grow in your faith, and then live any way you wish. You cannot do it. With commitment comes privilege, but also responsibility. And as a congregation and as a denomination, we subscribe to this, to chastity in singleness and fidelity or faithfulness in marriage. Chastity in singleness. That means that we will not go down the road of instant gratification. We will not. It is too important for that. We said at the beginning, marriage is entered into for loving, lifelong companionship and comfort, and is designed and nurtured to develop the full expression of love between a husband and a wife. Now, let me take us a step further. I want to give you a quote this morning. I've got three quotes for you. They're fairly lengthy. Let me share this one with you. This comes from university sociologist. I'm sure I'm not going to get his name pronounced correctly. He is David, I think it's Popino. And he is, this comes from his book, Life Without a Father, compelling new evidence that fatherhood and marriage are indispensable for the good of children and society. As a sociologist, having completed all of his research, he writes this, we should disavow the notion that mommies make good daddies and that daddies make good mommies. The two sexes are different to the core and each is necessary culturally and biologically for the optimum development of human life. Isn't that something? Daddies and mommies are necessary for the development of children and society. That's a brave thing to say in this day and age. And as Christian people, we absolutely agree with that. The Scripture is crystal clear. Male and female are different, but complementary. And without a male and a female in a marriage, that is not a good thing. Mothers and fathers matter in a marriage. And what's more, whenever there is a mother and a father in a marriage, that marriage is healthy, and it connects their children to them like no other relationship. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Those of you who are parents will remember the first moments that a newborn, your newborn child was put in your arms. 
And that little red wrinkled being had no idea what was going through your mind. And what was going through your mind was this, that you are absolutely committed and dedicated to pouring as much love into that wee heart as that heart can take. And the first day the child came home from hospital, you probably prayed for them that night. The first day they learned to walk and then went off to kindergarten and elementary and then secondary school, then off to college. You continued to pray for them. And when people start to go to college and move away from home, those 17 and 18-year-olds, when they go to sleep that first night away from home, they know they are loved, and they have confidence and self-esteem because a mother and a father has poured love into them. And you poured it into them on every birthday and every 4th of July and every Christmas and every Thanksgiving and every time you made them clean the room and every time they helped you with the laundry and every time they took out the garbage. You involved them in a healthy family relationship where they grew up with self-esteem and confidence and love. That makes a world of a difference to children. And my point in all of that is this. Marriage is a personal relationship that brings community good. Marriage is a personal relationship that brings about good for the society and the community by raising children who are well balanced. Let me give you another quote. This comes from the Witherspoon Institute. After their research, they published a paper entitled Marriage and the Public Good, and they say this, according to the best available sociological evidence, children fare best on virtually every examined indicator when reared by their wedded biological parents. Studies that control for other factors, including poverty, genetics, and suggest that children reared in intact homes do best in terms of educational achievement, emotional health, family and sexual development, and delinquency and incarceration. The best bedrock principle for a developing society is marriage, mother and father, man and woman, pouring love into their children. A study, final study and final quote today, because I'm conscious I've thrown a lot at you, comes from a, a book called, well, it was researched by a group called Child Trends. And it comes from their book, Marriage from a Child's Perspective, How Does, How Does Family Structure Affect Children? It is not simply the presence of two parents, but the presence of two biological parents that seem to support children's development the best. Research clearly demonstrates that family structures matter for children, and the family structure that helps children the most is a family headed by two biological parents in a low-conflict marriage. Children in single-parent families, children born to unmarried mothers, and children in step-families or cohabiting relationships face higher risks of poor outcome. 
There is thus value for children in promoting strong, stable marriages between two biological parents. The chances of hearing that on the media are slim. As Christian folks, now let me pause for a second before I move to our conclusion today. Having said all that we've said about raising children in a marriage where mother and father are biological, two sexes, one male, one female, let me also say this, that in our own congregation, in our wider families, a number of us will have what we call single mothers. Others will have blended families. Others will be struggling with divorce. Now, that does not for a fraction of a second mean that these folks are somehow less important that somehow they're to be looked down on or marginalized. In fact, as Christians, we do the opposite. We get alongside them. We support them. We pray for them. We encourage them. We thank God for them and do all we can to help. So, please remember that caveat. Having said all we've said this morning, where do we go from here? There are two major consequences of redefining marriage, which the Supreme Court did couple of weeks ago. And the first is this, that in redefining marriage, they are distancing the needs of children. In redefining marriage, they are distancing the need for children and denying the importance for children of a mother and a father. Mothers and fathers in marriage are now, for the first time in our history, optional. Let me say it again. Mothers and fathers, for the first time in our history, are optional in a marriage. Secondly, the Supreme Court's decision also reduces marriage primarily to emotional bonds and legal privileges. Reduces marriage to emotional bonds personal preference on behalf of the adult, and legal privileges. Adults' personal privilege, and the precedent's been set for a marriage, may now go from two to three to four and more, whatever that couple determine, because the Supreme Court has said it is no longer confined to mother and father. Marriage is a matter of personal privilege and the emotional and the legal privileges that go along with it. That is not a healthy place to be. Finally, what do we say as a church? As a church, we will not be involved in what is called chronological snobbery. And by chronological snobbery, this is what I mean, that this generation and this generation alone knows best. For 2,000 years, civilized societies all over the world have held on to a biblical understanding of marriage. Somehow, we have missed what marriage really means for the last 2,000 years, and we disagree, and we disagree fundamentally 
and we will not go along with the court's definition. Here at First Presbyterian, we will not marry folks of the same sex, we will not encourage it, and we will not bless it. Now, please hear me on this. Because we take that stance, we do so because the Scripture teaches it. Those are deeply held convictions. We don't hold on to our marriage convictions simply because they're traditional or because it's always been that way. But we hold on to our marriage convictions because we believe in holy matrimony. We believe in biblical standards that come with a price, and that price is to stand for biblical principles. Now, when we stand for biblical principles and will not shift our opinion or our commitments in order to be politically correct or in order to go along with the culture, that does not mean we hate anyone. It does not mean we hate those who have a different perspective. It does not mean we are narrow-minded and bigoted. Quite honestly, I think I can say fully with my hand on my heart, I have never encountered anyone at First Pres who is homophobic or wants to be or would encourage others to be. It is simply not true. Because we profoundly disagree with others does not mean we hate them. Anyone is welcome to worship on a Sunday morning. Anyone, whatever they believe, and we welcome anyone and everyone for this reason, because we know what it means to sin, to get things wrong, to offend others and hurt others. And we come here looking for an opportunity to worship the living God, to thank Him, and to feel His grace and forgiveness and mercy, and to refine us and shape us and make us more Christ-like. That is our dominating hope, that we will be Christ-like. And in being Christ-like, we cannot water down marriage, and we cannot go along with the culture on it, because the biblical principle is clear. A man will leave his father and mother, become one with his wife, and here we stand. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this passage of Scripture this morning. Thank You that You call us to holiness in every area of our lives, and that includes holy matrimony. Father, help us always to be gracious. Help us always to be kind, but help us nonetheless to hold on to the biblical principles that we have held dear for these last 2,000 years. And Father, we ask that You would be at the very center of our lives as individuals, the very center of our family lives, the very center of our church life. Bless us, encourage us, strengthen us, and enable us. For we ask it in and through Christ our Lord. Amen. 
Have you missed a Sunday? Go to our website to watch previous broadcasts, download a podcast, or purchase a CD or DVD. And don't forget to connect with First Pres by liking us on Facebook and Twitter, signing up to receive emails, or requesting prayer online. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you need prayer for something or someone in your life? First Presbyterian Church offers a healing prayer service each Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Our prayer ministers will quietly intercede for you or anyone you are representing who needs prayer for physical healing, emotional healing, or forgiveness. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus, the healer and redeemer, in a deep and meaningful way.